and welcome to The Writing Forge, where we discuss tips and tricks for honing your writing. I'm Bonnie. I'm Miranda. And we're your hosts. Let's Let's get get into it. Back to the Writing Forge, everyone. I'm Bonnie. I'm Miranda. And with us today, we have Thea Rodemaker. Thanks for joining us, Thea. Well, thank you for being here. I'm just absolutely thrilled to talk about copyright because it is, oh, I think, so... the most important issue for authors. And we're excited to learn and hear about it. And man, I know I have questions. So. <laughs> but first, you get to introduce yourself. Tell us how you got to where you are today in the writing world. Okay, well, my writing journey began writing legal pleadings and briefs. And when I was a law student at the University of Minnesota in the late 1980s, there was a big focus on moving away from legalese. And all first years had to take a legal writing seminar. I had been a high school and college debater and had a lot of experience with research and synthesizing arguments. So this focus really resonated with me. And I like to think it helped to sharpen my critical thinking skills and it certainly sharpened my editing skills. My law career began as a social justice attorney. I worked for Legal Aid on the Domestic Violence Project representing abused women in family law cases. But like many parents, I've had a career that has flowed with the raising of my children. I have four grown sons, and when they were at home, there was a lot of juggling, and I did a lot of different things. (laughs) But a common theme during this time was knowing that at some point, I had a book inside me that needed to come out into the world. And it was my oldest son that helped me see that opportunity when it arose. Our neighbor and dear friend, Royce Fulmer, had been forced to retire in his late 80s, and he was not happy about it. It was his (laughs) health, his heart, uh, had forced him to do that. Now, I knew he had lived an extraordinary life, and I began talking with him about the idea of he and I working on a book about all that he had done. So the final result was a drop in the night the life and secret mission of a World War II airman. It showcases his experience on a top secret mission where his crew flew their plane behind Nazi lines at night, dropping supplies and highly trained spies, including women, to aid the resistance. Now, I was confident we could write a book worthy of his life, but the publishing part was a definite concern. (laughs) We wanted this book to be out before he died. He thought it was hilarious to talk about the deadline we were working under. Uh, So I did not have the time to look for an agent or to go the traditional publishing route. So I decided I was going to have to learn how to self-publish this wonderful memoir. And four months before he passed, Royce held his book in his hands, was on the front page of our city newspaper, and was invited for a VIP tour of the 190th Air Refueling Wing. It was such a positive experience. And frankly, I had worked so hard to figure out this publishing stuff that I started thinking that maybe this would be my next act. Now, a solid theme in my life, and I believe for all of us, is that when we find our path, the thing that inspires us, what makes us want to connect and give of ourselves to others, the universe will give us amazing support. We just have to be very clear about our intentions and be willing to do the work. That was my thinking when I started Flint Hills Publishing in 2015. I was amazed at the people that I soon connected with, and I also, a little, frankly, a little disturbed that so many of them had gotten raw deals with unscrupulous publishers. That got my dander up. 
So I decided that in addition to publishing, I wanted to help educate and as a result, empower authors so they could avoid problems. Now I've published over 60 books. There's a bunch in the pipeline and I'm representing over 30 authors. My catalog is diverse, it's growing. I'm a lot smarter or I should at least say a lot less naive about the publishing world and all it entails. And I want to continue to help focusing on help helping authors in general learn about important, relevant legal and publishing issues. During the pan pandemic, I took the time to publish my own book on the topic, my goal being to condense complex legal information into a format that's easy and hopefully uh, easy to grasp and understand and hopefully even entertaining. Well, there it is in a nutshell. Very nice. Thanks. What's the name of your book? Uh, it is called Authors Beware. Arm yourself with knowledge to help avoid legal pitfalls. And you can find a link to it on my website, lintillspublishing.com. Nice. We'll also link it into the podcast episode, too. Yep. Thank you. All right. So thank you for that introduction. Now our readers, our listeners know that you know what you're talking about. And we're going to talk about copyright and sort of specifically copyright misconceptions, but just copyright in general. So let's start with what are the basic rules of copyright? Well, as I said, uh, copyright really is the most important legal issue for authors to know about because it's what protects your work. So the question is, what exactly is a copyright? Well, it's the legal protection that you have over the original content that you have created. Uh, copyright law falls under this umbrella you've probably heard of called intellectual property that includes copyright, mm -hmm. trademark, trade secrets, and patents. So this in concept of intellectual property is that law gives the definition that it's the intangible aspect of a physical product. The best example is a book. When you go to the bookstore and buy a book, what you are buying is the outer binding, the pages of the book. You're not buying mm -hmm. that narrative, the actual writing in the book. What you have purchased is called, a, a, under the eyes of the law, a lease, because the copyright is owned either by the author or in the case of that authors who work with a publisher um, they have leased their copyright to the publisher for purposes of publishing the book. Now, why, huh. why is all that important? It's because you need to have an understanding of what it is exactly that you own and therefore what you can do with it. There are five main things under U.S. copyright law that you can do when you own that copyright. You can produce the work. You can write derivative works. We've seen uh, a lot of examples of that recently uh, in the last few years. Mm -hmm. You can distribute the work. You can perform it. So you could write a play about it. No one else could take your book and write a play about it unless they have got a license or your permission to do that. And you can display the work. Okay. So I think uh, it's another very important issue for people to realize is that there's no mystique about yeah. copyright. I mean, have both of you heard that kind of urban myth that, well, you know, if you bury it in the backyard in a box to work <laughs> or if you put it in the mail with, you know, have it sent back oh, to you yeah. and magically, you know, you've, you've created your copyright. Yeah, I, yes. I feel like I run into this a lot with, well, not those specific examples, but just the misconceptions with, with new writers, especially since I'm an editor, people will be like, well, will you like sign an NDA or something so that you can't steal my work? And I'm like, that's that's not how it works. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I can't, you, you have the copy, like the fact that you wrote it means you have the copyright. 
you know, you, I can't steal, or if I, if I took it, it would be stealing and you could, uh, Take legal action. Take legal action, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, well, yeah, that's it. it's not in my interest. So. I've, I've definitely heard the mailing it to yourself, and I've also heard emailing it to yourself mm. because no one uses snail mail anymore. <laughs> and so they're like, oh, as long as you've emailed it to yourself, version. you have well, a you record. Know, those things are yeah. just, um, really, they, they, they are myths. There is no legal foundation for any of those thoughts. There might have been some practical applications, but one of the cool things about U.S. copyright law, and I will say there are a lot of uh, valid criticisms about it as well, mm-hmm. um, is that all you do to have that copyright for your uh, original material that is of enough length um, to mm-hmm. perhaps enough to meet the original content requirement. In other words, you can't mm-hmm. uh, copyright things like a title. There's not enough uh, mm-hmm. information in that to have a copyright for. So for you to get a copyright or to own a copyright, you it's pen to paper, keystroke to computer, and you, uh, you are the owner, therefore, of that copyright. That's an important, tangible piece of property. That is something that many authors don't know is something that you need to provide for in your will. Um, mm. If you don't do that, it can cause some problems. Um, we could talk about that more if you want to, but um, the other, but even though that is the the red letter law, there are some good ways that you can strengthen your copyright by taking some steps. And um, I'm sure you are you interested in hearing those? Oh yes, oh yes, <laughs> please. This is all right. we're all well, about then, tips you know, and tricks and helping our writers. Best practices. So yeah, you don't have to necessarily do these things. And in the eyes of the law, you'd have a copyright. But we have to be realistic you know, about things like what you were talking about, uh, Bonnie, when, you know, doing the NDA and stuff, I still think that's good practice. When any author sends me a submission in an email, I always write back, of course, you know, you maintain the full force of your copyright. I think it's just good to put that out there. So that's, you know, just just to have clarity. And so people are are aware of what they're doing, but you can take some specific steps to improve, um, your your argument if you ever did find yourself in a situation where you felt like somebody was you know uh, infringing on your copyright and the first thing you can do uh, the best practice is to register your copyright this is not hard to do uh, it only costs 45 dollars if you for each work if you have a collection of titles say um, you're writing a series of cookbooks the uh, u.s copyright uh, office allows you to register for that one 45 dollars filing fee up to 10 books within a series it's something mm-hmm. you do online you go to the U.S. Copyright Office, um, and then it becomes a public record that you own that copyright. So again, that's the best practice. Uh, authors work very, very hard on their books, mm-hmm. or at least you know, the good books are a result of a lot yes. of really hard work. It's yes. worth a forty-five dollar investment. So do you uh, do a, that? Oh, oh, go ahead, Miranda. Then I have a question. Okay, I, w- I was going to say my question is, how does it work for? So say someone finishes the first draft, they want to put that under copyright just for their own peace of mind, but then that draft gets a massive overhaul because they paid an editor, as they should. They they <laughs> they paid an editor to take a look at it, and it ends up with major revisions, enough that if you're putting it on Amazon, it would classify as a second edition. Do you then have to... Uh, submit a new copyright or does it still covered under the original copyright because they did it on the first draft instead of a later draft? 
Court, you 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 threw in a lot of fact patterns there that made <laughs> it a tough question, uh, Ms. Law Professor. Okay. Um, <laughs> Sorry, but I'm going to say that in general, just doing that initial registration is going to be good. Let's you know, in your okay. fact pattern, maybe you just you made such a huge change that I couldn't even recognize that first mm -hmm. work if I were looking mm. at it as an editor or a publisher. I doubt that that's going to be the case. In fact, okay. I think the best practice is to do that registration because this is something that an author should be doing on their own. Another theme mm -hmm. that I would coach authors with, you've got to take personal responsibility for your work mm -hmm. with regard to everything. Um, and that definitely includes negotiating contracts. But I would encourage people to register that copyright before they start ship, uh, shopping out their work to agents or to other pub publishers. That's, again, okay. the best practice. Okay. That that was my question. Was when in the writing process you should do yeah. it? So. Do it. Don't do it once you have that very you know solid, well edited first draft. You know before when you're at the point where you're ready. Like okay, I'm ready to either try to reach out to an agent or to a publisher with this. Okay. That All that right. would be my thought on that. Um, a second thing you can do to strengthen your copyright is to have an understanding about ISBNs. When I first mm. started, whoo. <laughs> Pretty naive about this. <laughs> One would think I would have done a little more research on this in the beginning. Um, when I went to uh, publish A Drop in the Night uh, the first time on uh, Amazon, I saw, oh, free ISBN. That's great. I'll go with that. Well, if you offer that free ISBN on Amazon, uh, guess who your publisher is? Amazon.com. Amazon. So, uh, what I would encourage people, and this is kind of getting a little bit away from copyright, but again, it's all kind of proving who has the ownership, who has the control over your work. Um, go ahead and buy um, your own ISBN. You can go to boker.com if you're in the US. Um, and there are different, you know, if you buy just one, it's a little expensive, but you know, you can get like a set of 10 and the cost comes down. Those ISBNs have a lot of identifying information in it. It tells tells you a lot of very interesting things. So if you have your own ISBN, or if you're working with a publisher, the publisher is gonna provide the ISBN, or if you're working with a hybrid publisher, um, that would be something definitely to ask about. I would caution mm -hmm. you there, people are always trying to make money off of authors. What's up with that? Um, there are <laughs> services out there who say, oh, we will sell you an ISBN. Well, it'd probably be cheaper if you went directly to Boker and bought it yourself. And also, if you buy it from that third party, that third party is going to be listed as the publisher, not you. And you can, uh, a lot of self-published authors will come up with the name of a company and they will re register a, a name of a publishing company when they set up their Boker account. Again, it's not difficult to do. It's just something you need to know about. And you can sit on the ISBNs for a oh, while, right? You oh, don't have don't, to have 10 To my books. knowledge, they don't expire. You have okay. an account and they, they stay in there. That's correct. Um, another side note, you know, if you're publishing an ebook, it's not uh, required that you have an ISBN. But again, I think that's the best practice. It helps mm. with the identification. It makes your work look more uh, professional. And if you are signing a contract with another publishing company, that's a good question to ask. Are you going to provide mm. an ISBN for my ebook? And another one, perhaps if you're doing a hardback edition as well. Yeah. Well, and then don't ebooks also get a 
E- oh man, I'm gonna mess this up. I know I am. I thought ebooks also get like a e e e s e n e e i. It's it. I thought yeah. ebooks got another well, number. When, I could okay. be wrong. Uh, I think what you're talking about when you go on Boker, if you're doing it yourself or your publisher is doing it, uh, you tell Boker when you're snatching that ISBN it what format it's for is it for an ebook or for hardback or for a a paperback and within the ISBN it identifies which medium you're you're uh, formatting in but you don't have to do anything special with that already a third way that you can uh strengthen your copyright is to get a library of congress control number Mm. all right I'm sure you guys are familiar with that. Um, this, the only tricky thing about this, again, learn the hard way. Uh, you can <laughs> only get it if your book is not yet published. Again, this is something an author would really? do. You'd go to libraryofcongress.com, fill out an account, and they will, uh, it's free. You'll just go through the steps there. It's not hard to do. And they will pretty instantly give you this Library of Congress control number. Now, why is this important? Uh, It makes your book look more uh, professional, especially for Mm -hmm. self-publishing. It's a question to ask. uh, Well, again, this I I would encourage authors to do this on their own, but a good publisher, you know, would would give you coaching on that. Um, And maybe your book will be selected to be in the Library of Congress. You've got the control number. Um, But again, it's not something if you if your book's already published, don't lose sleep over it. Okay, it's just one of those things. So is that? Is that something you should do, like, you're at your final draft, but you haven't quite hit publish yet, kind of? Right. Is that when you should By do that? By publish, I mean that you have not loaded the files, click, make it live. So you need okay. to, yeah, you would take that, uh, you know, you, you can walk through the um, the, the uh, website at the Library of Congress, and it'll tell you exactly, you know, how to go about um, they want uh, copies. Am I getting confused now? At some point, you have to turn in a print copy. Hmm. Yeah, it, it's just something for you to know about, yeah, to do yeah. before your, you click publish your files and make it live, or your publisher does that for you. Might have to be one of those things where you start the process before yeah. you publish and then finish it up after yes. you're published. Well, yeah. the other thing, you don't have to um, submit the book. So you would go ahead and just uh, fill out the uh, the online application and they'll give you the number. And then when you get that number, you give it to your publisher and your publisher will right. put it in the uh, title page or, you know, the okay. information page on the book. All righty. Okay. Um, All right. Oh, now more there things. are some tech solutions that can help you with your copyright. And I do think this is important for all authors to know, um, not only to protect their own work, but to caution them and to uh, make sure that uh, we are all acting in an ethical way and being very careful with with regard to others' uh, work. And that is the use of tech solutions that exist on the internet. I've uh, been to a lot of lectures recently where attorneys and other tech security people are talking about the sophisticated hardware that is scouring the internet, looking Mm. for abuses of people using content without permission. So you can Mm. use that as an author. Uh, Boker has a fee-based service. I have not investigated it because I have some personal opinions about uh, copyright enforcement. Um, <laughs> they're a little radical. I just don't get all that um, 
uptight about it. I my goal is mm -hmm. if information is going to get out there, let's get it out there, and ultimately people are going to be compensated. Uh, maybe that's naive. I've never you know been faced with a, a copyright infringement myself, but. If you do feel that it's something that you want to invest in, you could look at this digital shield service, which will scan the web. They have um, people who work for them who will be your advocates to send demand letters saying, you need to take that down. Now, just because this is just a common theme in the law with lawsuits, just because you have the legal right, you send a tersely worded demand letter, which is kind of, you know, a threatening letter, you need to do X, Y, and Z by X date, or you're in big trouble, mister. Um, that doesn't mean that, you know, action will be taken to help you. So what is the enforcement? And actually that leads to the uh, final thing I wanna talk about about copyright enforcement, and that's called the CASE Act. And it stands for mm -hmm. Small Claims Enforcement Act of 2020. And it was something that got passed uh, during you know, the legislation that came out of during the pandemic. And what it does is it creates an informal court where you don't have to hire an attorney. You can represent yourself, it's called, you can represent yourself pro se, um, the rules of evidence, which are normally very complex and strict, have been relaxed, um, and it's it's just not as formal. So it, it is a court um, that you, for $40 filing fee, you would say, you know, somebody is infringing on my copyright, and I need this court to issue an order to get it stopped. There are there's a cap of thirty thousand dollars in damages that you can be awarded, and I just was looking at this morning, and that court uh, did get uh, did open its doors in June of this year, so that's something I think for you to be aware of. So that's how you can enforce your copyright, isn't that cool? All righty, <laughs> <laughs> that's a lot of great a lot of great things. Gonna have to go back and re-listen to the episode and take more notes. <laughs> Oh, you know what, ladies? I outline it uh, much more succinctly in my book that you can get on Amazon. Oh, there you go. Fair there enough. you go. Fair <laughs> enough. Probably a lot more That's detail. That's another thing. You know, authors have to talk about their books and ask people to buy it. I'm amazed at the amount of authors I work with who are shy about that. So I encourage all you authors to, to not be shy about it. You wrote that book because you had something important to say. So be willing to share it. Say it. I say agree. it loud. Say it proud. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, um, another thing I think is really important is uh, a question that we had talked about earlier is what do writers get wrong about yeah. copyright? Um, and I think what uh, authors really need to know is what you cannot copyright. As you know, we discussed mm. in the beginning, you can't copyright a fact. Yes, there are such things as facts, but you can <laughs> copyright the way that you express that fact. Um, you know, a good example of that is recipes. And boy, if you uh, recipe books are fantastic sellers. Uh, I don't thanks. know if you all know that, but they really are. Um, and a recipe itself cannot be copyrighted. You know, like the scientific steps of the recipe. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, but uh, someone like Martha Stewart, for example, who has a lot of flair and a lot of great description and a great team helping her with things. Um, she actually won a case where uh, that she said that I she had written enough uh, 
creative content that that did rise to the level of copyright protection. So if you are writing a uh, recipe book and you put your own flair in there, your own uh, you know particular opinions and experiences, then that part of the recipe would become something that you you would have a copyright to. I've heard that that's why um, you know if you go and Google a recipe and there's always like pages and pages of them talking about the recipe first and then you have to look for the jump to recipe button and that's why because they can't copyright the recipe itself but they can all the stuff before I, it, so. I think I absolutely agree with that I think it probably also has something to do with SEO too you know they're trying to oh yeah, yeah. they're trying point. to get yeah. um get us you know get more push so, out there but yeah I I have another potentially sticky question how does that work then with famous chefs with so like it's their, you know, like, you know, all the Michelin star chefs and their mm -hmm. secret recipes and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And so does that fall under IP or if they wrote it into a book, but they didn't put enough flair into it, then that mm -hmm. wouldn't be. Are copy. you? Are I know. You, I'm asking you, all the fun questions. Are you sure you're not a part time law professor? <laughs> uh, I, I, prom I promise I'm not. I interned at a law office and I went, I cannot do what you do. Oh, no. <laughs> um, no. I interned one this, summer and went, oh this, no. I think your questions are raising a really important point is that uh, there, the law is not black and white for the most part. Right. There are all of these fine gray areas. That's why you have to use uh, a lot of common sense. You have to have a good awareness. It's good to reach out to attorneys to ask them specific questions about things. Now, in your fact pattern, because I don't want to not give you an answer, uh, if, if there's a secret recipe and it's it's published, it's not so secret anymore. Well, uh, yeah, fair. But again, if if you look at some of the court cases about recipes, um, it it it's it's not that difficult. You know, if you have the step by step instruction, uh, that's not going to be uh, subject to copyright. Um, and there's there's not been a ton of litigation over this really. There was a Food Network um, person was sued, um, but again, there are so many um, cookbooks mm. that are out there. Yeah. I, I don't yeah. think it's an area you really need to to be that that concerned about. You know, it's always a good idea if you have legal concerns uh, like with this issue or another common issue is a def potential defamation. Say you're writing a tell-all tell memoir about your you know, ho horrible ex-spouse. Um, it's always a good idea to have uh, somebody uh, with a good you know, legal knowledge, to have an attorney review your work for you and then sign off on it. But again, you know, they can't promise you, oh no, you won't be sued. Yeah. Uh, they can just say, you know, you've got a strong case here or you need to consider changing things a little bit or, you know, maybe you want to change the identity of that person. Uh, they can give you good advice. Um, so it's I'm not always, you know, it it's always better to ex. stay ahead of the problem than to just, yeah. you know, say, ah, it'll be fine. I'm saying someone's ex, yeah. not necessarily mine. <laughs> <laughs> I also think it's always important just consult a lawyer. Like whenever you have questions, better to, to get the official answer. I feel like we could probably talk about this all day, but unfortunately we're out of time. Well, that um, just so <laughs> I know, right? Uh, I, I, there's so much here. Like we'll probably have to do more episodes on law stuff in the future just because 
because there's so much. But thank you for all of that information. And yeah, I think this is an episode I'm going to have to listen to a few times and get your book. Yes, definitely. <laughs> Actually, I think we might have a copy in our NCW library. There you go. I believe so. there is. Yes, absolutely. So it's it's just been a pleasure to talk with all of you. I love to be able to help uh, hardworking, creative people protect their work so they'll be encouraged to keep going and keep writing because boy we need to lift the world's vibe and we need uh, yeah. creative uh, people out there sharing their ideas so thank you for what you, you two are doing and this week's question is actually you know what question listeners do you have about writing in regards to the law yeah, let right. us know I can plan some future episodes and answer you definitely Thanks, thanks, Thea. Thanks, everyone. Stay sharp, my friends. That's all the time we have for today, folks. Thanks for joining us for this episode of The Writing Forge, an NCW podcast brought to you by Nagano Press. To learn more about The Writing Forge and our parent company, Northern Colorado Writers, be sure to check out our website at northerncoloradowriters.com. Check out our social links in the description. You can subscribe to The Writing Forge wherever podcasts are aired. If you like this episode, you'd really help us out by rating and reviewing. If you're looking for more informational writing content, be sure to become an NCW member. Stay sharp, my friends. 